Good morning, church. You know, I'm not so sure she is more comfortable behind the camera. It's the longest announcement video of the year, Lindy. <laughs> and uh, the multi-screen Lindy's were freaking me out, I have to say. <clears throat> Welcome to WFR today. Welcome uh, Fellowship Center and, and live stream audience. We uh, are so excited. What a, what a great group of people that God has gathered together today. Amen. And we're great because our God is great. It's now been 41 years since our broken little family stumbled into West Monroe, Louisiana. And we found a community of believers that took us in, that helped us, that shared Jesus with us, that showed hospitality, that trained us how to help other people. And we are blessed because of that. Amazing. Uh, We're having some technical issues, you see. So that's just some demon that's running around through the computer. So don't just ignore him. Because the word of God will be proclaimed even if I have to scream it out. Amen? Devil's not going to stop us because of technology, so we're going to roll. Sage Nielsen is here. Come on up, Sage. She's 12 years old, and it says here that you uh, soccer and cross country, so you do a lot of running, right? Like me. (laughs) It's not true, Sage. I don't run at all, unless somebody's chasing me. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thank you, Sage. Excellent job. You keep running, I'll keep watching. Someone asked if I was a long-distance runner. I said, only if there's a fat Olympics. (laughs) So uh, we've been talking about the uh, book of Romans, and uh, what a great book that it's been. And so we we sort of are about to uh, turn the page and and move into something a little more practical, Paul does. He sort of made the case for the gospel in the first eight chapters, and he made it very strongly, right? I mean, it's, it's probably the best exposition of condemnation and justification and what sanctifies us in the Holy Spirit. He, he lays out this great case that Jesus was here, that he came for us and he died for us. In fact, if you remember back in Romans 1, sort of the thesis for the whole book in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And this is, this is news. I mean, Jesus had been saying why he was here, but Paul says, look, we're here now. The gospel is available for everyone, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. Jesus came, of course, to Jewish people, as we talked about last week. Their entire purpose was to get Jesus here. He said, this is going to be my plan. This is going to be how I come. And when I come, I'm going to offer salvation, not just to the Jews, but then to the Gentile, all men and women. From past, present, and future, the opportunity to be saved by faith in God and in Jesus. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so he lays out this case for that in those first eight chapters. He gets to chapter 9, 10, 11, we talked about last week, and then he says, look, Unfortunately, my people, most of my people missed it. And Paul had missed it, right? Until he was, he had a direct contact with Jesus. And then when that happened, it changed him forever, just like it did us, right? 
you didn't know Jesus, you were living a certain way, you were in ignorance, whatever the case was. Maybe you were like me, a double secret agent right here in the church, and you missed it. But then one day, for whatever reason, your story intersected with his story. And really, when you think about it, a cross, of course, which was a brutal way to kill somebody, is a symbol of humanity today, is an intersection. I mean, it's an intersection of the story of Jesus in our life and our story. And it changes us, for offers us salvation. Today, as we reach Romans 12, now we're going to begin to look like, what does the Christian life look like? What does it look like to be a believer? Because the first thing we have to realize is that we have now a new community in Christ. And in that community, we find not only salvation, but also we find forever assistance. We have people that love us. We have things we can do. We have talents that God has given us. We have things that we've been gifted with to bless other people. And so that's where we come to today. The first thing we're going to see in our new community is there's a new way to worship. Is my sound cutting in and out? It's okay? Okay, good. I'm hearing something up here that's different. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Some of the older NIV says this is your spiritual act of worship. Now he's going to start out by saying everything is going to change from the way it's been to the way it is now. And I think since he said first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, he's specifically pointing at the Jews because they had a way of worshiping for thousands of years. It was God-sanctioned. It's what they were told to do. It was in law. It was holy and it was good. But it was only a shadow of what now had come for everyone. It's going to be different. You're not going to go and buy a dove or buy some animal and go in and give it to the priest and have these sacrifices made for your sins in your life. Hebrew writer told us that that never took away sin anyway. Now you are the sacrifice. Literally. Your body is the sacrifice. And that means that worship is constant. I mean, it's not just when we gather here. We we call it worship when we sing praises, and it's great. This is a great collective time to do that. But it's every moment I'm alive. When do I stop living? When do I stop offering up and knowing who my Lord and God is? And that can happen in a boat. That can happen in your house. That can happen in your yard. And, of course, that can happen in a place you gather together. It's going to change. It's not just some place we go to once a year or some place we go to once a week. Now it's who we are. And that was very different and a huge change. And really, when you when you think about it and you grasp it in your own life, that should change you and I as well. There's no place where, okay, now I'm off the spiritual clock and now I'm back on. That's not the way this works. The Spirit of God lives in me. If I'm not listening to him, if I'm not worshiping, if I'm not offering up my body as a living sacrifice, then I'm thwarting the work of the Holy Spirit that now lives in me. I don't want to live that way, do you? He then shifts over, I believe, to the Gentiles and focuses on how they worship because he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the Gentiles that are addressed here and throughout most of Paul's epistles, 
their idea of worship was you had multiple gods. You had anything you could lift up as a god. And therefore, you whatever was, was the hot god of the day, that's what you went with. And if it included immorality or whatever was going on, that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to offer our lives to. Now, the Jews wouldn't have understood that at all. They understood always the one Yahweh. But the Gentiles, oh, man, it was just a rocking party. Whatever's happening, that's what we're going to do. He said, no, 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 no. That's not who we are anymore. Now you're going to be transformed in your mind and heart. And you're going to understand that you don't want to follow the pattern, the things of the world. That only leads you into destruction. And it did them and it does us still today, does it not? We want to live, and this includes both, we want to live in the will of God. What he wants for our life. And that means we have to take a step back. Now, Jesus set us up for this when he said about himself, this temple will rise in three days if you destroy it. And everybody looked at the big temple and they said, what's he talking about, Willis? And they said, he, he, that, it took almost 50 years to build that place. You're talking about raising up in three days, but he was talking about what? His temple, our temple. Now, the Holy Spirit, that's who we are. That's how Christ lives in us. You remember the moment that Christ died on the cross? That temple was just ripped, the temple curtain right down the middle. What did that, what did that say? This isn't the place anymore. You're the place. It's not where you go. We, we fast forward to other times and say, well, we're going to the sanctuary to worship. That, the, 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 the curtain has been ripped. We offer up our bodies as living sacrifices every moment that we live on this earth as sons and daughters of the Almighty. That's what he's called us to. And you remember what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. In other words, this isn't just, this isn't your body just do what you want with anymore. You now belong to Christ. Therefore, when you're having sex outside of a marital relationship, you're violating Christ because your body is his body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then he said in 2 Corinthians 6, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of God. And we don't really see ourselves that way, do we? We'll say we're going to go to church. You are the church. So am I. And it goes with us everywhere we go. That's the beauty of community. Now, a lot of people say, well, what are we even getting together for? To be encouraged. I like getting together. I like you people. I've been liking you for 41 years. Some of you have been around that long, right? You saw me grow up. And now we got all these new people. And when you watch people come up just like today and you see future generations. One day, unless the Lord comes back, I won't be here. But the work of the Lord will still go on. But it's not just tied to a place, 3201 North 7th. It's the forever family of God. We just had some wise people say, you know what? We're going to start a church that's going to focus on Jesus and the gospel. And we'll see how long it goes. Well, I'll tell you how long it'll go until the Lord comes back or until we forget what we were called to do. That's what he does. That's how we worship. That's what's changed us. Jesus showed us by being in the garden the night before he gave his life and said, you know what, Lord? I'd rather not, but your will be done, not mine.
That's one of my favorite scenes in the entire Bible. Because Jesus shows us how human he really is. Who would want to go through that torture? I wouldn't. Paul said last week we read that he'd rather be cut off and cursed than lose his people. I've never said that. These men of faith and our Lord and Savior show us the way. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the will of God living in me. That's why when you get to Galatians chapter 5, you see that living by the Spirit means bearing the fruit that he has sent to us to live. For centuries, unfortunately, the church has tried to work its way back to temple worship. And in many cases, they do it that way. I mean, they go, they make their sacrifices, they give their tithes, and then they go and live however they want to. That's not what we're called to do. We are living, active, breathing, being the body of Christ, showing the Holy Spirit to the world. That's what we're called to do. It's a new way to worship. And it's also a new body to work with. He says in verse 3, Romans 12, 3, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Dad just got, uh, what would you call it, I guess, put into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame about a month ago or a few weeks ago. And he did not want to do it. You know, I mean, you know, Dad, he was just like, ah, just, you know, and he kept thinking back to this verse. And I said, well, Dad, you're not saying you're worthy of going into the hall. Someone else is saying that. That's why they call me the Phil Whisperer, by the way, because I have a way of, you know, getting him to do things that he doesn't want to do. So we made the trek. Ron Mamoudian was with us. We made the trek over to and Paul and Mike to Natchitoches. And Dad didn't want to make a big fanfare about it, and we didn't. But it was so, it was so honoring to me to see his life's work of being a sportsman in Louisiana and a fairly decent athlete at one time in his life. For other people to say, you know what, this man deserves honor. And that's what they did. And that's what we have to do with each other. We're not saying how great we are, but when somebody else comes on, brother, you are a real encouragement to me. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Brother, I just love the way you speak truth into my life. Sister, you have the most caring spirit. Let other people recognize how great you are. But you don't have to do that yourself. Hey, watch me. I'm so great. No, that's not what we're called to be. You see, our body is built with grace and humility and that faith-based self-reflection. It's also built for unity and community. Look at verse 4. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the other. Now, I love that he goes to a physical body because we would understand that, right? Because he keeps talking about our bodies. But he says, you're like that. You're all combined together. And just like in your own physical body, there's nothing that's, that you don't want to just get rid of, right? How many of you have ever lost your appendix other than me? A few of you? I see a few hands up. The appendix is really interesting. It's only about four inches long, and it's like a little balloon, that's attached to right where your large and small intestine come together. And I've become quite an expert on it because mine just decided to blow up a few years ago. So my crack research staff here at WFR for my sermons, otherwise known as WebMD, says 
the appendix sits here at this junction. And it's in the lower right abdomen, right? The function of the appendix, catch this, is unknown. Can you believe WebMD says something is unknown in this age of science? We're in 2021 and it's unknown. That's what they say. One theory is that the appendix acts as a storehouse for good bacteria, rebooting the digestive system after diarrheal illness. Now, there's a word I don't think I've ever said in a sermon before. It's first. They said it. Other experts believe the appendix is just a useless remnant from our evolutionary past. You don't really need it. I don't know. I like everything I have. I don't really want to just get rid of stuff for no reason. Do y'all? Surgical removal of the appendix causes no observable health problems. Well, I beg to differ. Because, I mean, I guess removing it was the right thing to do. You know, my problem was mine blew up. And, and I, I, there's something, it's either a curse or a blessing to a lot of Robertson men that we have a super high pain tolerance. And so I went eight days with a ruptured appendix before I got it taken care of. Now, that's stupid. I'm just going to tell you right now. I grew up with the phrase, who's a man? ringing in my ears and it makes me not want to go to the doctor even though i'm waking up with night sweats and all these different things are going on i spoke here on christmas eve that year to to you as i was dying (laughs) literally dying some of you said oh your color is not too good yeah i got something running around in my guts you know i don't know what's happening the appendix is very small but it mattered to me Especially to get rid of it. But that's the way we are. Our bodies are made by the design of God, not evolutionary needless remnants, to function and to help and to grow and to make us strong. That's what we are spiritually in the body of Christ. We're built for that. He says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. Remember, the gifts are given as a grace, not earned. If your guilt is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, God gives us things, and we're different. But then he says, use them. A gift is no good if it's kept in your own hands. It's only a blessing when it's given to someone else. That's the whole thing about gifts. And we have to figure out what they are as we live our lives and are being transformed. And I'll tell you something else. Gifts can change. Maybe younger in life you were a certain way and later you develop some new gift. Use it for the cause of Christ. It's about action. The last thing that he says in verses 9 through 21 is that this new lifestyle also gives us something to to the world. And it really is the purpose of our community. This is where most churches go astray when they totally internalize, just like the Jews did, what Jesus means. Jesus didn't come just so we could have great, you know, church family. He came so we could be a witness to the whole world. Now, we understand that and know that as believers, but if we don't take that as our first priority, 
that our ability to impact and show other people is what this is all about, then we will become a closed community. And you know what closed communities do? They die. You know, if you go to some closed place and we don't want to let anybody else in, then eventually if enough years go by, everybody in that place is going to die and no one else will be impacted. That's not what Christ established his church on earth to do, to only feed ourselves and to keep ourselves hopefully alive until he comes back. He says, you've got the greatest gift in all of eternity and it's living in you. Share it. Selfish. Don't be stingy. Our purpose is to be a witness. How do we do that? Look at verse 9. Love must be sincere. It starts with sincerity. To sincerely love people. Now, for a lot of people, that's hard to do. But that's the first fruit of the Spirit is love. People are searching for authenticity. I cannot tell you how many people come through those doors, especially since we were on television, and come in and say, well, I just had to see if it was real. And I always say, well, what do you think? It's better than I imagined. Now, that's not because of us. That's because of you. Last week, person after person says, this is the friendliest church I've ever been to. I mean, I've been to a lot. I was at a place, one lady said, six months, and nobody even asked me who I was. How could that be possible? Because our job is to witness to everyone because we don't know who God is sending our way right we don't know that interaction that you have you don't know when you go to the grocery store that you may have some conversation seasoned with salt and grace that's going to change someone's life it's going to start them to thinking that's the way we have to live every opportunity love must be sincere authenticity otherwise fake love that displays hypocrisy Someone will come in to a place of people, and there they are, and they're like searching and looking, like, ooh, ooh, it's cold in here. Is it the air conditioning? No, it's the people. We don't want to be like that. We want to show love, what that looks like. Some of that's how we love one another. He goes on to say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So what should we be zealous about? Serving. Hmm. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Listen to all those words. Those are great action words for who we should be. Now, some of us are going to be more gifted than others in that list, and that's okay. That's why we have a body. That's why we're together. Whenever I hear about something good happening for the kingdom of God, anywhere, but especially here with my family at WFR, I mean, I am thrilled by that. I would never be jealous because someone is doing what God told them to do. Who would do that? And yet the evil one sometimes, that's the way it gets at us. Well... They might be doing that, but I'll tell you one thing. Don't do not do that. That's not what this text is. We're here to build each other up. Man, I am thrilled when God's victory is shared with someone else. I'm excited about that. Every time we see a new birth come out of this water behind me, that excites me. Because we're fulfilling what God has called us to do. We're being his witness to other people. It's how we treat one another. 
That's how they'll know. How, how long does it take you to pick up on hypocrisy? Not long, right? Well, look, in the world's eyes, it's even more because they're assuming already you are a hypocrite. But if you just tell them I'm a sinner saved by grace, you just get that out of the way right off the bat. We don't have any room for hypocrisy. I admit that I don't deserve anything except for condemnation. But because of Jesus Christ, I am something new and better in him. That takes hypocrisy off the table. That's how we live. That's who we are. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's hard to be a blesser and not a curser when someone wrongs you, right? I mean, now all you got to do is get out on the road, right, and watch people. I mean, I had somebody call me a bunch of bad names the other day, and that's just because I didn't see them. I mean, I know it was scary, but still, I wasn't all those. He called me everything but a Christian. And I was driving away, and I was just kind of amazed because I don't hear language like that very often these days. And I just thought, you know what, Lord bless that old boy, because he is, he is in need of some blessing today. He needs to be lifted up. And I meant it. I didn't necessarily want to go back and tell him, but I wanted the Lord to bless him. <laughs> I am human after all, right? These words are designed to help us when we're wrong. To be different in our response. To be lovers of peace. To not be vengeful, but forgiving. A Christian above anyone else should understand the power of forgiveness. When he says, unless you forgive others, you know, I won't be able to forgive you. That's, don't take that as a command, even though it is one. But don't take it that way. Take it as, how can I understand true forgiveness from God if I can't forgive other people? I mean, if I'm the sort of person that lives a vengeful life and always wants revenge, then how could I possibly understand what God has done for me? One of the best gifts that Jesus showed all of us to have is empathy. Here was a man who was who had never sinned and done wrong, and he's hanging on a cross after he'd been brutally tortured, and he says, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing by killing God. Now that's an example to live by. And I can't forgive somebody because they stole money from me or some wrong that they committed? Yeah, but Al, you don't understand how big this is. I understand how big all the sin of the world is, and Jesus took that on. You have the capacity to forgive. And again, it's not by your power, but it's because what Christ did for you. The last thing he says is, oh, let me read this other one. I skipped it. Where is it? Because uh, this is a kind of a strange saying. It's from Proverbs. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. And that, I've always thought it was interesting because when Solomon wrote that 3,000 years ago, I'm not sure exactly what he had in mind because people say, well, that doesn't sound very good. You know, if I'm just going to put, like, put dump burning coals on someone's head, that doesn't seem like I'm helping them. I don't know what the euphemism meant. It's interesting when you try to study it out. What people say, some people said it was like cleansing or, you know, some people said it was trying to make them feel ashamed. I don't know what he meant, but I know this. It's pretty clear in this passage that God says the best way to be is forgiving and loving towards others. And in that you help them. 
So whatever the phrase meant, I don't know, but I know that helps other people. I've seen people stop in their tracks because they start out, they're all mad. And when you don't respond that way, they just finally say, you know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to react that way. Why did they do that? Because I didn't meet them at that level. I went the grace route. I, look, I understand you're upset. Let me try to explain. That's the way to be. It's grace seasoned with salt. The last thing he says is do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that really is the point of this whole thing. And look, just like I said last week, that's a simple phrase, but that doesn't mean it's easy, right? I mean, that's a battle for every one of us every single day, but that's what we want to strive for. I don't want to let evil win at any level in my life today. I want good to win out. And that's the daily walk that we do in Christ. Peter would put it this way in 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's what I want people to say. Man, what is it about that old gal? She just, she has the best attitude. You know, she's got a lot of bad stuff going on in her life. What is it about her? And maybe one day they'll ask. And then you'll tell them why we're different. He would say in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks for the hope that you have in Christ. But do it with gentleness and respect. We don't take our Bibles and bang them over anybody's head. We say, look, this is what God did for me. This is what Christ did in my life. So we're witnessed by our lifestyle, and we witness by our words as well. Lisa and I have been spending more time in what I call the other L.A., which is lower Alabama, which I guess it's just it's, it's fitting that God would continue to humble me by placing me in the state of Alabama for any period of time. <laughs> Filled with Alabama fans. And confused Auburn fans. You know, that's just, that's what's there. I get it. But I've sort of taken to view it as a mission. It's my new mission field. You know, I used to tell you when we'd go to the beach, I was trying to convert a jellyfish. But now there's real people uh, involved in the process because we, we split time there. We spend quite a bit of time there. And we have this neighborhood that's kind of a horseshoe of houses on the water. And we, we walk around this horseshoe and we, you meet all these new people. And it's a new experience for me because I've been here my whole life. I mean, I'm living on a street with nothing but family and people and forever family. But now all of a sudden, all these new people are there and I'm interacting with them every day. And it has been amazing in what God has done in just a few months. We baptized a guy out in the community pool. As far as I know, we, that's the first christening of a baptism in our neighborhood pool, which was awesome. Some of our neighbors came out to watch. They said, are you going to start a church? I said, no, I have a church back home. In real L.A. But I said, you know what? I would love to start a community group. And we can talk about Jesus. And we can pray for each other. And people just started coming to our house with prayer requests. We were having dinner the other night. We're sitting there with two couples. And one of them is a young couple. And I mean, just halfway through dinner, she starts crying and just opens up her, about her whole life and what's been going on. A lot of difficulty. And I thought, what made her feel comfortable the first time she ever sat at my dinner table and Lisa's to open up like that because she saw grace. She saw people who cared about other people. She saw people who were willing to live that out 
in front of the community. And she said, you know what? I want to find some peace. Can you help me find it? Well, we sure can, sister. That's what Christ does. That's what the community of God is built for. So wherever you are, wherever God takes you, you grow. He plants you someplace, even temporarily. You grow and you bear fruit and you show who he is. That's the point of today's lesson. Somebody asks you what I preach about, that's what you tell them. Don't give them an appendix story. I know how you are. So that's what we are called to do. But, you know, we can't do that unless we understand what God has done for us first. So we always want to offer an invitation because, as we've seen almost every week here, there are some people that just don't understand exactly what community really is. And how could I ever be a part of it? You don't want me in your community? I'm too bad. Trust me, there's no level. There's no too low here. We take everybody and we say you can be cleansed, washed, and renewed in Christ. Nothing you have ever done excludes you from being a part of the community of Christ. All can be taken away. Every sin. Jesus says, that's why I came. So if you've never committed your life to him, if you've never become a son or daughter of the Almighty, you need to get into that community today. And you don't have to be here physically in West Monroe in this place. As we know, we've got people all over the world that are now a part of this community. And I want to challenge you today, live your life in such a way that you honor God and that people will look at you and say, you know what, I want what you have. That's the way I want to project. And that means that Christ is doing his work in you. So if anything is holding you back from that today, to become a child of God or some sin is holding you back because you haven't fully committed and left that lifestyle, today is the day to begin anew. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?